Parsha Themes is for inspired people like you who are looking for engaging and relevant Parsha and Moedim thoughts. Our weekly discussions focus on uplifting thoughts and actionable ideas that will upgrade your Avodah Hashem and enhance your Shabbos and Yantav table. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Tropper, and it's an honor to have you with me here today. Welcome to Parsha's Lech Lecha. What an exciting program we have. And just focusing on the Ramban, there's just so many brilliant things. Today, I'm going to focus on four specific comments of the Ramban in Parsha's Lech Lecha. Uh, two of them are going to overlap a little bit, and the last one is going to be a, a very fascinating philosophical topic that some people will find amazing, and some people might find not relevant to them, and that's all good. But the Ramban really touches on so many amazing fundamentals, just in Parshas Bereshis alone, that uh, I mean, we could spend the entire day just talking about one comment. Um, so let's start with Parshas Lech Lecha, Perik Yudbeis, Pasuk Vav, where the Ramban quotes Chazal and really made this famous. It's a and that is Kol or as we call it, Maisa Avos That which happened to the fathers is a simon, is a indication of things that will happen for the sons. And it's an amazing concept that Ramban elaborates on many times, um, focusing on how the actions that the Avos took, even the smallest actions, were rewarded um, in, in larger ways or were manifest in larger ways. And we find this in, in, in a couple of places, and Chazal pointed out, but specifically in the life of the Avos, so many of the things that happened to the Avos uh, were a hint to things that would happen to their children. And it's a phenomenal thing to recognize the power that a father has, that parents have, that the things that happen to them are also a simon labanim. Uh, the emotional health of parents is a very uh, commonly indicative thing of the emotional health of their children, uh, or at least where their children start at and what they have to work on. Uh, whether a parent uh, smokes or does other uh, things that are inappropriate uh, will have an influence, a profound influence on their children. Um, if both parents smoke, uh, the children have an even larger uh, chance of becoming smokers. So some of it is a physical thing, but the Ramban, of course, is talking about more of a spiritual thing, that some of the spiritual things that were invested in our, in, in, by our avos into the children uh, manifest for example, uh, we have the Ruach Haim, a Pirkei Avos, Ruach Haim Vlazhen, that says on the Mishnah that Basara Nisyonis is Nasa Avraham Avinu. So why is he called Avraham Avinu? He's called Avraham our forefather. That's one question he asks. Another question he asks is that when we think about the Akedah, which was Avraham sacrificing his son Yitzchak for God, well, we talk about that as the greatest human sacrifice. But the thing is that, A, he didn't really sacrifice him. At the end, Hashem told him to stop, and he didn't do it. Um, so we understand that it takes a lot to be able to go down to the Akedah, but um, he didn't actually kill him. And B, when we talk about Chana and her seven sons, um, she herself at the end, when all of her children were were uh, brutally murdered because they refused to budge one iota and to uh, turn away from Yiddishkeit and bow to the Avodah Zarah, she said before she died that uh, Avraham Avinu, you gave up one son on the Akedah, but I gave up seven. So seemingly, that action should be given even more credence uh, than, than that which Avram did. And Rechai Velazhen explains a brilliant thing, that that Mesiris Nefesh that Avraham put into us and invested in the Jewish nation and in all of his descendants is what gave the power for Chana to be able to overcome that and all of her children to be able to overcome that challenge and to give up their lives for Hashem. And so it's specifically the fact that he is Avraham Avinu, he's our father, and he invested that energy into us that has made us become great people as well. And therefore, the act of Akedah, which was a tremendous mysterious nefesh on Avram's part and on Yitzchak's part as well, is something that became invested in us and creates a tremendous 
advantage for all of us and all the future things that we'll do. One famous area of Misa Abbasimla Banim is that we talk about how Sarah was taken by Paro and Paro was unable to touch her and did not violate her in any way. And that became a similar Banim for uh, our ancestors in Egypt that they were not uh, violated and uh, they were not ruled over uh, in any inappropriate way by the Egyptians. Um, and as the Hazal tell us that there was only one person, Shlomos Bas Divri, um, who had any relationship whatsoever uh, with an Egyptian, and that was because she was forced. And um, that is documented in the Torah. But everyone else stayed pure because of all the women stayed pure because of Sarah. And we know that Hazal tell us that because of Yosef in Egypt, he didn't sin, that all the men stayed uh, pure in Egypt as well. So that's a tremendous empowerment that we get. I want to tell you two stories that I think really bring this out. One of them is very famous, and the other one is not so famous, but just such a powerful story. The Briskarov told over the story, and I heard it from people who heard it from Rav Shach directly, and it's actually printed in the Rosh Shiva Remembers, the Archeral Book of Stories from Rav Shach. Um, the Briskarov told over a story that he had a Masora from his great-great-grandfather, Ruchayim Velazhin, that this came from the, the, the family. The Vilnagon's wife had a close friend that they used to collect tzedakah money for together. Uh, Throughout the city of Vilna, they would support the poor people in Vilna. And the two of them made a promise to one another that whoever died first would come back in a dream and tell the other one what it was like, what the reward looks like for the mitzvahs they've done. So it ended up that this woman passed away first. And sometime later, she appeared to the Vilna Gon's wife in a dream. And she said to her, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to tell you what I see here. Um, I know that we made a deal, but you wouldn't have been able to upkeep it either. But I can tell you one thing. They gave me permission to share one thing. And that is, do you remember that time the two of us went collecting tzedakah from a particular woman and we couldn't find her in her house? So we went to other stops and then we saw that she was actually walking on the street coming towards us. And you said, hey, look, and you pointed at her and said, that's the woman who we were trying to get money from. Let's go talk to her. Remember that? And so the Vilnagon's wife said, yes, I do. She said, you should know that that money that we collected is recorded in both of our names and we both get reward for the tzedakah that we did. But the amount of reward that you get just for pointing to her is unfathomable. That's the power of a mitzvah, how great that we are rewarded. And so if we think about it, that we might be at first discouraged and think to ourselves, well, the Avos were so great and they made such a difference, but who are we were insignificant. But the truth is that we are so significant and all the things that we do are rewarded and noticed by Hashem. And that's a famous story and it's a fundamental story. I'll tell you another story that's not so famous, which is really a beautiful story. Ramosha Feinstein's that's all was a great man. And his father-in-law, Rav Yaakov Moshe Kastanowitz, was also a great tzaddik. Now it's interesting because Ramosha had a son-in-law who shared the name Moshe as well. He had two names. And Ramosha himself was married to, to uh, his wife's father had his name as well. His name was Yaakov Moshe Kastanowitz. So we know that Ramosha writes in his chuba that Hassan and Kalavid are not Machbid about uh sharing names with the father, sharing names between the mother and the, and the Kala. Um, or if there's a change, there are two names that uh, there's nothing to be mocked about. So Ramosha himself in his own life had that. So his father-in-law was a great tzaddik and well known for his generosity. And it happened that in the town where he was the Rav, the townsfolk had a deal with each other, which was very simple. If someone got sick in the town and they needed to pay for medical expenses, everyone in the town would chip in because no one was able to afford it on their own. And so this was a way that everyone would chip in and get the medical attention that people needed. And tuberculosis was going around. It was a very, very severe illness that was killing many people. 
and there was a boy in town who was stricken with tuberculosis, and his prognosis was very, very poor. However, this boy was wayward, and he had been off at Derek, and he had not been practicing. He was a rebellious Jew, because of his own desires. And so when the town was found out about him, and his family was requesting assistance, they were turned down very sharply and told, well, he's not part of our community. Why should we help him? Why should we pay for the lengthy therapy and the special medications that he needs for treatment? However, when Rav Yaakov Moshe Kastanowitz found out about this, he totally disagreed with them and said, there is a Jew in need. We must rally together and raise the money to cure this person because one Jewish soul is worth the world. And that's exactly what they did. They rallied together and he made sure that every last penny was collected and they helped nurse this boy back to health. And no, the end of the story is not that he became a Balchuva and that he was religious, not at all. This happened in the late 1800s. In 1923, the communists were spreading their influence throughout the Soviet Union, and they made a decree that anyone that had golden rubles or American dollars that were held by private citizens, for whatever reason, they needed to hand it into the government, and they weren't allowed to own it anymore. There were libels and accusations against Jews for hiding things and terrible punishments that were coming their way. In 1923, or Moshe Feinstein, who was then the Rav of the city, was summoned by the communist government and interrogated, being accused of hiding money. When he arrived for the interrogation, he was asked for his name. He stated his name, Moses Feinstein. The commissioner screamed out, why did you bring this rabbi for questioning? Why is he here? The assistant just said, well, he's the rabbi of the city. He probably knows about all the illegal activity and we're going to punish him like we've been punishing all the other Jews. The commissioner said, this man is a son-in-law, one of the greatest true communists in all of Russia. This man's father-in-law single-handedly and selflessly took care of my brother when he was ill and enabled him to get therapy and recovery from his tuberculosis, despite the fact that this, my brother was not even on the proper path. And therefore, this man sh should be set free and never bother anyone in his entire community. And Ramosha thanked the man for stepping up on his behalf and made a request that all the arrested Jews should be arrested, set free, and allowed to return to their homes. And this was granted. And from that time on, from 1923 until 1926, when Ramosha actually left Luban and made his way to America, not a single Jew was ever arrested. And so we never know how far our actions will go. And it's an amazing thing, or how far our actions could be carried. And so when the Ramban says, we should think about our own children and the things that we instill in them. And of course, we should also think about the great Avos and Imos and learn all the Torah Parshas about them to see what they did in their lives. The next thought is Perak Yudalad Pasagalaf. Pasag says that, this is on the same lines as what we were talking about, that Avraham went to go fight the four kings. And they were very, very powerful, but Avraham was able to overcome them. And the Ramban here explains an application of Misa of Simulabanim. So this is the overlap. The Ramban explains that this story happened to Avraham to show that Avraham was able to overcome the four kings, which were ruling the entire world, just like his descendants, Bnei Yisrael, are going to overcome the four Goliaths of Bavel, Horus and Madai, Yavan, and Rome, which we're in right now. And he explains it in more detail exactly how that is. But the point here is that when we read through the stories in the Chumash, they're not just stories. They're lessons for a lifetime that these four kings and five, 
that, that were able to overcome the five kings and take over the world were ones that Avram was able to subjugate, just like we are able to subjugate them. We're going to go back for the third thought in Parak Yud Bey's Pasuk Yud. The Pasuk tells us there was a famine and Avraham left Eretz Yisrael and went to Mitzrayim. And there's Machlokas Rishonim, and it's actually based on the Zohar, which we'll explain in a moment, based on Chazal, whether Avraham did the right thing or the wrong thing. We're not to judge them, but Chazal give us information. And the Ramban here writes, according to the Zohar, and we'll explain that in a second, the Da, you should know, Ki Avraham Avinu Chata Chet Gadol Bishkaga. Avraham made a small sin here. Shehevi Ishto Atzdegas B'Mikshal Avon Ifnei Pachto Ben Yaragu. That he left Eretz Yisrael and endangered his wife. And this was the reason that we will see. This is one of the reasons that brought on the subjugation of the Jews in Egypt. And we'll explain that in our last thought as well, what that means. And so let's first explain this. So there's a Zohar, which is in Parsha's Lechelah in our Parsha. It's on 81b is the page. And it's an Achalikas between Rav Yehuda and Rav Shimon. What happened here? And Rehuda says explicitly that the fact that Abraham went down to Mitzrayim that is why we had to go down to Mitzrayim for 400 years. And the Radal in Perkut of Elazar, this is brought down by Rav Shvel in his note, uh, the Radal explains in Perkut Chavav Ha'arachav Beis that the Ramban is holding like a Rehuda. But the other Midrashim and Rashi and other, most other Rishonim that hold this was the right thing for him to go down to Mitzrayim, that it was an Isayon, and this was orchestrated by Hashem. It was a Hishtadlis that Avraham saw there was a famine, and it's logical for one to leave a land that has a famine. And there was nothing wrong whatsoever. That's Rav Shimon in the Zohar. Rav Shimon says explicitly that Avram did nothing wrong. So I would like to add two interesting explanations to this. And the first one is uh, based on Rechaim Freelander's comments in Das Tunos on his Pirish there in Simon Kuf Ayin. And he explains that basically the Gemara Dharam Lama of the base says that the Gullus Mitzrayim was decreed on Avraham's children because he asked Bama Eda, how will I know that my children will inherit the land? And the question is, that um, you might ask, and the Maral asked this in Kavuras Hashem, that what did Avram do wrong? He asked a simple question. How do I know that they're going to inherit the land like you're promising them? And the Maral explains that Hashem had a decree that the Jews had to go into, in, into Gaulus, and this had to be fulfilled. However, there needed to be some small chait that would trigger this decree to be able to fall, to be able to apply. And therefore, once this little tiny chit happened, which on Avraham's level, and according to the Ramban's explanation, was a small thing that instigated it, that became the impetus that was able to now bring it out. And this also explains one of the famous questions people ask, it's a kasha that Rashi de- deals with. Rashi is a brilliant commentary, you sometimes don't even realize what he's trying to explain. But one of the kashas is that um, Yaakov was punished for being away from his parents, for the kibbutz of aim that he didn't have, while he was gone for 22 years, and he was punished that his son Yosef was sold into slavery for 22 years. But if you read the Pesukim, it clearly says that his parents sent him uh, out and away to get married. Um, and so what did he do wrong? So some of the Rishonim say that they only sent him for a short time, but he went for too long. Um, Rashi and other Rishonim don't say that. And what's very fascinating is what did he do wrong? But a lot of the Mepharshim, or Shach has a vart like this based on the episode of, of the Das Tunos, and based on this principle of the Maral, that just the fact that he left Eretz Yisrael and wasn't learning in that time, was doing other things, was a little bit of a kitrug against him. And so in that spot was Chal, um, this complaint against him that he, for 22 years, didn't do Kibra of Aim. But either way, it was a Gezerah that had to happen. 
And so Hashem was just waiting for the pieces to be there. Now, don't think this means that Hashem is out to get us. On the contrary, any gazera that's there is really meant to perfect us. It's meant for our benefit. And that's the second point that I want to bring up here, which is a very, very fascinating idea. Um, and that is that the, the, the Ramchal in Das Tuna, Simon Memches, and the Ramchal didn't make up these Simon and Rufheim Freelander did. So if you want to look it up, it's on page Mem Aleph in the Green Book. So he explains that Hashem makes it that even if things look bad, they're still, that's just a, a, a myopic way of looking at it. But really, they're bringing out the shlemus of the world and the perfection of the world. And so anything that a person does, even the bad things that people do, the mistakes that people do, the evil that people do, are really bringing out the positive. And so, for example, he says that um, the brothers of Yosef tried to sell him down to Mitzrayim, but they became the Seba, the cause of what ended up actually causing him to fulfill the dreams. So they were upset about the dreams, but they ended up being the cause of fulfilling the dreams. Another example he brings down uh, from Simcha Zizel, uh, from Kelm, the altar of Kelm, is that Paro was decreed that all the children should be thrown into the river. And because of that decree, Moshe had was put in the river and his daughter, Bastia, pulled him out and ended up saving him. So that ended up saving Moshe himself. Um, and we know that Haman, who was involved with the story of uh, Miguel Esther, he was Mamuchan, according to most Madrashim. He had Vashti executed because he was trying to take over the kingdom and get his daughter in there and have more power. But he ended up being the one that brought Esther in because of that and ended up being the one who created the salvation of the Jews against his own evil decree. And so when we try to manipulate things, no matter how evil we are, or no matter what our intentions are, Hashem always brings about the best from it. And that takes us to the last topic, which, like I said, for some might be a little complicated or confusing, and but it comes from the Ramban and our Parsha, and it's a fundamental issue that probably most Rishonim talk about, and it's a fascinating issue. And that is that in Perak Tesvav, Pasuk Yudalad, Hashem says to Avraham at the Brisbane of Basarim that the nation that will subjugate the Jewish people, the Gamas, Agaya, Sheryavdun, Dunanochi, they're also going to be judged and they will be brought to justice and be punished for their actions. So it is here that Ramban asks the obvious question, which is basically that if Hashem was gozer, that the Jewish people would be in uh, servitude, then what p- punishment do the Egyptians deserve for actually fulfilling that? Um, one can't do anything that Hashem doesn't allow. And so why are the Egyptians held responsible and punished with the ten makos and destroyed um, and brought down to their feet? Uh, what do they do wrong? And so this is a question that many, many Rishonim, including the Rambam, which we'll, we'll talk about in Yad Chazaka and Pirish Mishnayis and Mor Nevuchim, addresses and gives one uh, specific, very famous Mahalich. And this is something that the Ramban himself right here is discussing. And there's a lot of very interesting people that talk about this topic. So Let's kind of break it down to a number of the, the two main camps, the two main answers. So the Ramban himself here answers that the reason that the Egyptians were punished is because they went beyond uh, the letter of the law. They weren't trying to be Micaiah Hashem's Gezerah in subjugating the Jews. Rather, they were doing it for their own purposes in order to hurt the Jews and with ill intent, and they hurt them very, very badly. And so therefore, they were punished. And as a source for this, the Ramban actually quotes Medrash Rabbah, which says this seemingly explicitly. And we're not going to go into how the Rambam answers all the different uh, questions, but the Medrash Rabbah is actually in Shemos, it's in Parshas Mishpatim, and it's actually not fully related to this topic, 
But the Medrash says um, in Perak Lamed, Parsha Lamed, number Tesvav, the Medrash says that there's a mushal that there was once a king whose son had done something wrong. And so the king made a decree that he should go work for, let's say a name, it says Plony, but he should go work for Ruvain, and he has to work for free, and that's his punishment. Um, however, the king said explicitly to Ruvain that although my son is working for you for free, you don't have any right to hurt him. And so what happened? Ruvain took the king's son in and um, made him work and also began to beat him and hurt him and punish him. And when the king found out about this because his son cried out for help, uh, he executed Ruvain for not following the rules. And so the the uh, Medrash says explicitly, Kach Gazar Kodesh that the Jews should be Meshubah to Mitzrayim until they would repent and be returned. And the Egyptians came and, and Vishivdu Osam Chozek, and they hurt them more than necessary. And so this Medrash clearly says what the Ramban is saying. Now, the, the Rambam has a different answer. In there. And the Rambam, it's very fascinating. At the end of Hilchus Tshuva in Sefer Amada, so he has a couple of philosophical questions which all tie into each other. Uh, one of the questions that, 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 that this starts is at the, is at the end of uh, Parak Hay, Hilchus Tshuva. Rambam asks a question which the Rivet is very disappointed and unhappy about. And the Rambam basically says that, wait a minute, if God knows everything, that means that God knows all my actions that I'm going to do. Well, if God's knowledge is there, then what happens to my free will? I have no free will anymore because now God knows what I'm going to do and God's knowledge is, def- is definite. Now, the Ramam gives a very simple answer to this. And he basically says clearly, and most of the Mepharshim explain it this way, including the Tosis Yontif of Mishnais, which we'll get to, um, that we don't understand Hashem's knowledge. Hashem's knowledge um, is, is beyond our comprehension and how Hashem knows things is beyond our comprehension, but yet the Torah says explicitly, we have free will. It's explicitly stated in the Torah. And therefore we should choose, and Hashem extols us to choose choose what's right. Like It says before a baby is born, he's told, be a tzaddik and don't be a Russia. But the choice is ours. Whether smart, healthy, strong, weak, that's not necessarily ours. Hashem endows us with certain capabilities and certain strengths. But whether Sadik or Russia, whether we use our potential correctly or not is up to us. The Ravid is very upset about this question, and he says, why did the Rambo bring this up, and why did he bring down this question? Uh, he just confuses more people. But again, the, the Beis Yosef and Kesa Mishnah, and all, a lot of them Farshim just say that Rama uh, really did answer it correctly, and he explained that we don't we don't have any fathom we we don't have any way to fathom Hashem's knowledge. But this idea ties into just kind of the question of can someone hurt me beyond Hashem's knowledge, and if someone does hurt me, are they responsible, or does that mean that Hashem wants it to happen? We know uh, I've mentioned this many times that when David was cursed by Shem and Gera, he said Hashem Amr is David. Hashem wanted me to hear that, but yet we know that David also did punish him and did have Shlomo execute him. And so there, we have to do our hishtadlis. So the Rambam and Hilchus Chuba asks explicitly that what happened with the Egyptians? The Egyptians, it says explicitly what, that they're going to be subjugated. So Hashem was gozer that the Egyptians should do bad against the Jews. So what, what happened? Why were the Egyptians punished? And the Rambam himself answers that Hashem was not gozer that the Egyptians needed to be the aggressors. Hashem was gozer that the Jews were going to go into Gullus and they might be subjugated as well. But the Egyptians got up and they chose to be the oppressors and the aggressors. And therefore, that's where their free will kicked in. And it's true that Hashem allowed for it to happen because Hashem was gozer it. But he didn't decree that they should do it. And therefore, they are liable. 
Now, this is interesting because another topic, which we'll talk about also, and I, I know there's, there's a lot of topics here, and I don't want to make it too confusing, is when Hashem says, I will harden the heart of Paro, there's a big Mahogas we're showing him how to understand that. The Rambam says explicitly early on in Hilfus Chuba that over there, wait a minute, did Hashem take the free will away from Paro? Paro had no free will anymore, so why is he responsible? So there, the Rambam explains that Paro did so much rot and so much bad and evil that at that point, his punishment was that he lost his ability to do tshuva. And at that point, he did lose his free will. And that's a one-time deal for someone that pushes his rishas to a limit. And so that's that's what the Ramam is explaining here as well, that generally you have the free will and you don't have to be the one that bestows the bad that was nigzar, it has to happen. However, there are times when a person chooses to be this evil person to bring out the evil decree, and then he is liable. And this is what the, the to explain the Ramban a little bit further, the Ramban states even that you should know that when a man is nichtav and nechtam on Rosh Hashanah, that he's going to die, that doesn't make free the listim that murdered him. The the uh, the bandits that, that took his life are going to be responsible. And they are the, they're the, a Russia, but Avono Yamos, and they're going to die on account of their own sins. So let's extrapolate on this a drop more. If we open up our Pirkei Avos, the Perik Gimel, Mishnah Tesvav, Mishnah says, HaKolt Safoy Varushus Nesuna. Now, there's a big machlugus you're showing him what this means. The simplest reading is simply, HaKolt Safoy, Hashem sees all of our actions, Varushus Nesuna, and he grants us free will. However, the Rambam Pirisha Mishnayis explains this, that this is the philosophical thing that's being discussed here. That HaKolt Safoy means Hashem knows everything ahead of time, but yet, despite Hashem's knowledge, Varushus Nesuna, free will is still maintained, and one can still choose to do what right and wrong. And the Yachin, the Tveris Yisrael, who is a famous uh, contemporary of Ruki Vegar, he writes that even that Hashem's Yediyah, Hashem's knowledge, is not like that of a, a Basar Adam. And he says that the reason that it uses a strange lashon of Tzafoy, it is foreseen, and it doesn't say Akol Yadua, everything is known, is because when we use the word Yediyah, knowledge, that usually means... Um, something in the past or something in the future. Um, he had a pre-knowledge, he had a post-knowledge, etc. But when we say the word tzafoy, it means that Hashem sees everything. It means that at the same time, Hashem sees past, present, and future all in the same. And so therefore, it's talking about Hashem's providence, and we have no comprehension of what that means, how Hashem could have such a providence. Now, the Tosas Yantif, who was a Talmud of the Maral, he says a brilliant idea here, and he has a whole lengthy discussion about Kain and Hevel, and very, very fascinating things here um, about free will. And it's 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 Kedai to read through Atosis Yantif if you want something to look at on this topic. So he explains that if it was just coming to tell us that Harashus Nasuna, the main thing was that we have permission to do that we have free will, then it could have said and and, and that and that there's Yejdin and and that we're judged for everything we do, then the order should have been Harashus Nasuna, you have free will. And Akult Safoy, and by the way, Hashem watches everything that you do and you're accountable. But since it puts Hakult Safoy first, that is explaining th- what the Rambam is saying, which is Hakult Safoy, Hashem knows everything, but yet still, despite Hashem's knowledge, Harishus Nasuna, man still has free will. And that's what the mission is referring to. And the Rambam in Pirish Mishnayis takes that approach. If we look back in, in Perkeavos, Perak Bey's mission of Vav, so there it describes that. Hillel saw a skull that was floating on the water, and he said that the reason that you're drowned is because you had drowned someone else. But the person that drowned you, he will also be accountable. And so Tosis Yontif has a lot of philosophical discussions over there as well about 
Kine and Hevel and Gilgulam and very, very fascinating ideas. Um, but what I want to point out about that Mishnah is, again, the idea is that there's always justice in the world. Even if someone is a murderer, he's still accountable for that murder, but he, we cannot bestow any good or bad, like the Chavos says, on anybody outside of the permission of Hashem. And so coming back to the Ramban, the Ramban says that the reason that the Egyptians were held liable for what they did to the Jews, even though Hashem decreed that they're going to be enslaved, is because they went beyond the call of duty and they hurt them more than what Hashem was nigzer. Now, that in itself, how did they do that? So we know that the Jews were nigzer to be there for 400 years or 410 years, but the Chazal say that they went out early because of Koshi Hashibod, because of how intense it was, which means that Hashem's intent was how much punishment and how much pain they would have over a sustained amount of time. However, because the Egyptians went further, um, that ended up rushing them out because a, a Jew, because Hashem was goes or how much suffering we have to have. But at the same time, obviously Hashem knows how long the Jews were going to be afflicted for. The point here is that the Egyptians exercised their own free will. And that's the main point. Their intent was not to be fulfillment in fulfillment of the Ratzon Hashem. Just like in the Nebuchadnezzar, you could say, well, Hashem allowed him to do it. <clears throat> that's true. But his intent was still evil. And so the messenger is still held fully accountable, both according to the Rambam and according to the Ramban. The only question is just what are the philosophical underpinnings? The bottom line is that there is a din and there is a dayan, that there is a judge and there is judgment. And Hashem is always watching everything that we do. And on the one hand, when it comes to our own insults, embarrassment and pain, we should think to ourselves, obviously Hashem wanted me to have this and this is a lesson for me and what's the lesson? But when it comes to the way that we treat others, we need to have in mind that we're not the executioners of God. We want to be good people that do good things, bestow good things to others and not and we also want to make sure that when we are doing things that we're acting within the realm of Ratzon Hashem. I know that this is a very complex topic, but I think that many people will have enjoyed this conversation and I leave you with many, many other Mara Makomos to look at that Tosis Yontif. There's also a Shla in Chelek Aleph in, in uh, Beis Abachira, which talks at length about this Rambam and some very, very fascinating things. I hope that you enjoy. Thanks for joining us. For more Torah content and to make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe and visit us at ParshaThemes.com.